Well, if you have your Bible today, I want you to go to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse uh, 45. Anybody glad that we're in the Christmas season? Come on. Some of you have been in the Christmas season since October 31st. Come on. Glory to God. I love it. Well, you know, um, this is uh, a promise season. Let me tell you how powerful the coming of Messiah Christ was. It was foretold all the way back at the fall of man. Adam and Eve, uh, at the moment where they, are fall, they have fallen, God says, hey, listen, I'm going to put enmity between her seed and your seed, and he is going to crush your head, and, and, and you're going to bruise his heel. He's saying, listen, there's a Messiah that is coming. And here's what you need to understand about the, the wonderful nature of the season of time that that was. That promise was so powerful, it pulled God's people, the Jewish people, God's promised covenant people throughout time. It pulled them through slavery, pulled them through famines, pulled them through war, pulled them uh, through uh, Egypt and through wandering and into the promised land. It, pr- it pulled them through captivity. Uh, prophets would prophesy not only of the people being set free, but God raising up a leader who was coming to sit on the throne of his father David. Isaiah would prophesy, Zechariah prophesying, all of them pointing toward a new season that was coming. And it was the time in which God would bring his son into the world. Now, a couple of years ago, there was quite a stir that happened among, uh, among the church. It's like suddenly people in our culture stopped saying Merry Christmas and they started saying season's greetings. I know, I know, I know. We're like, ah. And I do believe that for the most part, our culture is trying to remove Christ out of Christmas. Only problem is, is the guy that they are propping up is a guy named Saint Nicholas. Well, you don't become a saint without Jesus. You certainly don't do what he was doing, which in modern vernacular would be this. He was getting women out of sex trafficking. I'll tell that story some other time. He was paying the price to get them free. He would throw up. Uh, gold coins to buy them out of their bondage. So the guy they're propping up is a follower of Jesus. And so, uh, but sometimes what we do in the church is we have this knee-jerk reaction and we actually miss maybe what God could be saying to us about a season we're in now. By the way, we are no longer in the 
Messiah is coming, the Savior is coming season now. You know that, right? We're celebrating that. We're remembering the goodness of God to send his only son. We're remembering that, but the season that we're in now is that he has come, and he's finished the work of salvation and sent his spirit. It's a different season. By the way, there's another season coming where Jesus is coming again. Man, are you excited about that season? I am. Why? Because God kicks it off with a buffet. <laughs> it's the marriage supper of the Lamb. Man, we, man he's going to return. Then we get to eat, and it's all you can eat. With, with, with no worries about gaining weight. Glory to God. But that season, by the way, it's not, you don't just go to heaven and stay there. Did you know we're just there and then we come back? And then the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God. He makes them all his footstool. And there is a renewal that happens right here on earth. By the way, this isn't an end times Christmas sermon. <laughs> no, no, no. There was a season and there is coming a new season, but we're in a season. I want to speak to you a message called Greeting a New Season. Greeting a New Season. You say, what's this season called? Between the coming of Christ and Christ coming again. What's that called? Here it is. Write it down. It's real deep. It's named after my granddaughter, Harvest. Actually, she's named after it. Harvest. Harvest is the name of the season that God is trying to get us into. Perhaps every time you hear someone say season greetings, you need to hear the invitation of God saying, I've got something new for you. I'm going to try to bring you into something. And that's why I believe God has been speaking to us about, uh, about okay, I want to take you into a new place of knowing who you are in my heart. I want, you to, I want you to know that you're my beloved, that you're my sons and daughters. Matter of fact, at, you know, this time of year, you're, you're just walking through the stores and you hear holy declarations. How many of you love Oh Holy Night? Don't you love that song, Oh Holy Night? I love it. But we, we, we hear the words and, and their meanings don't penetrate the heart the way they should. It says, long lay the world in sin and error pining. We think pining is something you do in the forest. No, it's not. No, 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 no. Wasting away in sin. Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Come on, do you understand that when he came and when you experience what he did, you finally understand how much you're valued by God. You see, beloved identity is the critical message of the hour. And today, God wants to empty us of any tendencies that's keeping us from entering the fullness of his love and the season of harvest connected to it. That's the season we're in. Now, we're going to look at a familiar passage. 
And today, I know I normally give you two points or maybe three points. Today, I'm giving you seven, so don't worry. Just scoot over for third service, okay, whenever they come in. I'm just kidding. We're going to go quickly through this. Um, but I, I want you to get something from a very familiar passage so that in this season where we're celebrating that Christ came and we're anchored in the hope of Christ coming again, that we can actually receive, listen, the power necessary to overcome and produce what we're meant to produce now. I think a lot of us have a lot of faith that Christ came and did the work uh, of the cross. And a lot of us have a lot of faith that Christ is coming again. And matter of fact, that's mostly our attitudes. God, this place is a mess. We can't even figure out what men and women are. We can't figure out. We, we got things all messed up, turned upside down. Jesus, please come back and fix this. And I, I ultimately think he's got to come back to fix some things. However, what we do is we miss the power of the gospel to fix things right now in this season. Don't miss the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel to change things now. Don't miss it. Greet this new season. Now, Mark chapter 6, we're going to begin in verse 45. It says this, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida. While he sent the multitude away, and when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone in the land. And then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. There's a lot to unpack here. But within these verses are actually truths that can help us transition into the season that God wants us in. Too many of us are paralyzed. Too many of us are not, are not, are not entering into the fullness of what God has already paid for us uh, to, to possess. You see, it is in this hour where every day as God's beloved sons and daughters, you are to be rooted in his love for you. You know what that means? Every day there is something from his love nourishing you, strengthening you, keeping you, establishing you. But see, it could be that, that what, what happens is we have these moments and circumstances in life that cause us to want to pull up our roots. And in this season of harvest, this season... I want you to get your roots down deep into God's love. He said it's a love that you can know, but it's beyond knowing. 
There's something to put your brain in a cramp. It's a love you can know, but it's beyond knowing. It's so big, you can never discover its heights, its widths, its depths. It will overwhelm you. It'll be a river that you can swim in. Matter of fact, uh, uh, John, uh, the beloved disciple, describes it this way. It's something you're lavished in. You're lavished in this love. And I pray that you and I would get so rooted in this love and God's rich mercy and grace that we would then step into what God has for us. Well, let's look, let's look at these seven truths that will help us transition into this season. Not just, oh, he's coming again, you know, just kind of hunkering down. How do we make the most of this moment? Well, here's the first truth that we can learn from this story. Um, in a moment of transition, Jesus sends everybody in different directions. Jesus sent everyone in different directions. Verse 45 says, immediately he made his disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side. Notice that, go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida. And while he sent the multitude away, while he was sending the multitude away, and when he had sent them away, he departed to a mountain to pray. So here's the truth. The disciples were made to get in the boat. They didn't want to get in the boat. Why? Because they were with Jesus. Jesus said, no, you get in the boat. Multitudes to the tune of 15,000 plus, Jesus said, you guys go home. Go back to doing whatever you were doing before. Go and take care of whatever you're responsible for. And then Jesus sent himself to a mountain. Now, I got to tell you, nobody in modern church culture would do what Jesus did here. Nobody. No, no, no. We would gather our team of 12. We'd say, all right, come, come on in here, guys. Come on in. Sure, Judas, you can come. Whatever. All right, here's the deal. We got 15,000 people here. It's what John Maxwell calls the law of momentum. All right, now, here's what we got to do. We got to keep this momentum going. We got to keep this thing rolling. We can't mess this up now. Now, by all means, now, listen, come on, Peter, don't, don't you speak out of turn. You're going to drive some people away with all the attitude you carry around, Okay. Come on, let's keep it together here. We got some momentum. There are good things happening here. Context tells us that the feeding of the 5,000 had just taken place, and the crowd was about to make Jesus king by force. How many of you know that wasn't his purpose in that moment? He could have. He could have said, oh, wow, we've got momentum now. All right, let's just, let's just do what the crowd wants to do, and we'll just go right now and sit on the throne of David, and we'll begin to establish a kingdom out of time. Listen, that wasn't his purpose. This is one of the greatest seasons of ministry success and personal success by the world's measurements, and that the disciples and Jesus had ever experienced. Write this down. When you're going into a new season, natural success is not an indicator of God's highest priority. 
Natural success is not an indicator of God's highest priority. He said that is enough of the natural measurement. I want you to know that I've got a deeper and higher purpose. And many times when God is taking us into a new place, into a new season, when we're greeting a new place of, of really genuinely walking with God, we've got to say farewell to the successes and accolades of man and say, God, I'm going to make your purposes the highest priority. Second truth from this story is this. Obedience led to a test. Obedience led to a test. Verse 47, it says, Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea. He was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. The wind was against him. He said, get in the boat and go ahead of me to the other side. What does that mean? Sometimes you'll get a word from God to do something and things will get worse. It's not meant to be easy. God says, go ahead. Of me to the other side. He says, I'm coming. You're getting to the other side. I'll be on the other side. But in the middle of that process, here comes a contrary wind. Entering a new season requires every believer to press against contrary winds. If you are going to step in to another level of your walk with God, another level of expanding the kingdom of God, you're going to have to row against the wind. Why? Why were there contrary winds when Jesus said, go ahead of me? Here's why. Because Israel was about to experience one of the greatest moments of physical healing ever witnessed in its history. You see, in Matthew 14, 34 through 36, it says this, when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret, and when the men of that place recognized them, they sent out into all the surrounding region, brought to him all who were sick, and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. Do you see that? All they had to do was touch the hem of his garment. They were touching his clothes and they were all made well. You say, what was the contrary wind about? You see, here's the thing. Sometimes the devil knows you're closer to your miracle than you do. The devil is aware. Oh, he can sense, oh, they're on to something. They're headed into something. Oh, I better blow against them. I better try to get them to dis discourage them, get them to turn around, get them to go back to their old life, get them to just incorporate some of the culture. Why don't you compromise a little bit? Come on, maybe you can just walk around. Maybe you can, you can just do something other than what Christ is said to do. Oh, that's what the contrary wind is about. And I I'm here to tell you, listen, opposition is a prophetic indicator of potential. 
Man, if you're getting opposition of trying to step in to a greater place in God, if you feel like, man, I've got this pain in my body, I've got this disease I'm fighting, I've got this calling I know I'm supposed to be headed toward, but it seems like everything is blowing against it, here's what you need to know. Keep rowing. Keep rowing. Keep rowing. In the strength God gives you, keep rowing. Keep believing that God has said, I've got a place that I'm taking you. I've got a place I'm sending you. The third truth is this. While their world was shaking, Jesus was interceding. While they were in the boat and the wind was blowing, where was he? It says, when the evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. He had gone to the mountain to pray, to intercede, and he saw them straining against the wind, for the wind was against them. Now, about the fourth night, he came to them. Now, listen. I want to announce to you today, if you've been in this season where you're like, God, I know you've come. I know you've done a work, but you've gotten into a moment of struggle, a moment where you feel like, man, I feel like everything, the tide of life and culture is, is trying to press me into a different place. I've got good news to you. God is working behind the scenes for you to bring you into your destiny, and nothing is going to stop you. Listen to me. Nothing is going to stop you from God's call on your life. Nothing is going to keep you from walking in those promises. Nothing is going to stop you unless you quit. Unless you give in to the wind. But I'm here to tell you that while you're straining, Jesus is praying. Listen to Romans 8, 31 through 34. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So he's interceding on the mountain. And I want to give you an insight of what was going on there. Why is Jesus up on the mountain? He knows to send them across. Why is he there interceding? I believe it was to gain revelation of what the next step was to be. He there in that moment prays, comes off the mountain, and starts walking on water. By the way, we have no other record. We don't have record that Jesus was always telling his disciples, hey, by the way, you guys take the boat. I'm going for a walk. Hey, you guys can walk around the whole of the Sea of Galilee. Me, I'm taking the short way, boys. I'll see you there. This is not him operating as the Alpha and the Omega. 
No, he is operating as a, a son, as the son of God, filled with God's spirit, submitting to the will of the father. Because in John, it tells us this. Jesus said, I only do what I see my father doing. I only say what I hear my father saying. So it was in that moment of intercession that God speaks to Jesus and says, I want you to come to those who are struggling in a supernatural way. I I want you to come to them in a way that's going to astound them and make them marvel. And listen to me, church. You need to understand Jesus is interceding behind the scenes and God has good plans for you in your struggle, in your, in your, in your own pursuit of God's divine purposes for your life. You say, God, how am I going to do it? And God is saying, oh, here's how you're going to do it. I'm praying for you. And answers are on the way. Answers are on the way. How many of you like this? The fourth truth is this, is God's timing is perfect. Oh, y'all say amen, but boy, that makes me want to say, oh, me. Come on, you hear that? That's an amen place, but I, I, I don't know. Why, why is it that our clock and God's clock sometimes seem to be a little off? Sometimes we're like, God, I wish you would have showed up a few minutes ago, hours ago, months ago, years ago. Could you have come a little earlier? But God's timing is perfect. Notice verse 48 says, now about the fourth watch. Not the first watch, not the second watch, not even the third watch. It had to be the fourth watch of the night. He came to them walking on the sea. The fourth watch is the darkest part of the night. Now, I know that in these last days, there is a special spiritual gift that has been developed by the church. There is a special sonar given to freshly awakened toes in the morning. You climb out of bed, your eyes are closed, and you can feel you have the, the gift of discernment flowing through your toenails as you navigate your house with, with, with eyes closed, and you suddenly arrive at the altar of Keurig. You do it with the, all the lights off. You stepped right over his shoe. You're like, I wish you'd have picked that up. You didn't even open your eyes. You didn't open your eyes. You didn't need to. Why? Because you were in the dark, but you were navigating the familiar. Have you ever tried to navigate the unfamiliar in the dark? In the fourth watch? Oh, I have. From time to time, I'll go spend some time in the woods. And, and no matter how many times I have walked a trail, here's what I understand. Things look different at night. They look different at night. I remember one time I was in a wood, I was in the woods in this trail. I mean, I was in a swamp. It was terrible. I had a flashlight. I was so buried in the midst of stuff. I found a down tree and sat down. No cell signal, nothing. I just sat down because I knew that my friend had an F-350 with a 7.3 liter diesel you could hear from about 20 miles away. And when he got close, I knew that in the dark hour, I would find direction. 
And I'm here to tell you, you may be in a dark hour right now. And you may say, man, things don't look right in this dark hour. I am experiencing uh, something that is just, it, it's, it's terrible. I can't see. I feel like my vision has been blurred by circumstance. God is about to break you into a new season. I hear the footsteps of the Savior. I hear his footsteps coming close in the dark. And it's the sound of an intervening Savior that will bring you into the place even when you're in darkness. Here's the fifth truth. It's in this new season where God's trying to get you into your purpose that your orphan tendencies will get exposed. I mean, you hear it here often, right? You are a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You're in God's family, redeemed and washed by the blood. You will shout. Some of you will dance. Some of you will run. And yet, there comes a time when God starts to move and you get fearful. Notice verse 49, it says, And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. And they all saw him and were troubled. Wait a minute. I mean, just a couple of hours ago, they were with him collecting 12 baskets full. Huge ministry success. Now he starts coming to them in a more powerful and personal way in the midst of their storm. And they what? Cry out. They're fearful. I want to say this to you today. When God starts drawing near to you in power, when God starts getting close and starts getting personal, all orphans can see are ghosts. What are ghosts? Something dead from your past coming back to haunt you. Something dead from your past trying to come back. And you're out there in the midst of your struggle. And you think, this storm is my fault. This is because, this thing, and now it's coming upon me. And there's nothing I can do. It says they cried out for fear. This word here is phobia, which means paralyzing fear. That's why orphans have an inability to move into the next season. They are paralyzed with a wrong perception of God connected to their past. And God has sent me here prophetically on this Sunday morning to deliver you from every orphan tendency. God is saying, listen, I have washed you and cleansed you by the blood of Jesus. There's nothing from your past coming back to haunt you, God is coming to move in your life in a brand new, more powerful way than you can ever imagine. And the reason you haven't been witnessing is because you've been paralyzed in your past. The reason you haven't been praying for the sick is you've been paralyzed in your past. The reason why you haven't been pouring out love to others is because, oh man, I never received the love that I, I, I could have as a child from my parents. Listen, you're paralyzed in your past. And God today, by his love, is saying, listen, get rooted and grounded. Get nourished in how much I love you. And 
I'm going to set you free from that fear so you can walk in the season I have for you today. The sixth truth is powerful. He's walking on the water. They're gripped with fear. But then the word of the Lord came. The voice of the Lord is always released in transition when God's taking you into a new place. The voice of God. God will speak to you and you will hear him. God will speak to you. Listen to me, church. God will speak to you and you will hear him. Verse 50 says, but immediately he talked with them. Why? They're screaming in the boat in fear. And he said this, be of good cheer. It's I. Do not be afraid. Now here's what people misunderstand about getting a word from God. When Jesus spoke up, he must have been quite a scene. After all, he is walking on the water in a storm. It doesn't say the water was splashing over his knees. He was walking on the water on a wavy surface. So not only is he walking on the water, he's walking up and down the waves and up and down on the top of the water. See, y'all thought it was just crystal clear, like everywhere around him, it was just smooth. That's not what the Bible says. And when he spoke, the wind was still blowing. Listen to me. When God takes you into a new season where you begin to be more fruitful in him, he will give you a word before your circumstances ever change. He gives you a word. And he expects you and I to let the power of what he speaks to us do something in us before it changes the circumstances around us. That is the truth. The voice of the Lord positions our hearts before the circumstances change. Be of good cheer, it's I. Listen, for those who have been in a storm, who've been rowing, you say, I've been trying, God, I feel like I, I've been going through so much stuff. And I, Be of good cheer, hear the voice of God, it's I. Be of good cheer, I'm coming to you in power, it's I. Come on, don't let fear stop you anymore. Be of good cheer, God is saying, it's I, and I'm coming to you. And the last truth from this, it's going to help us to transition, to greet a new season is this. A fresh faith in Jesus has got to be received by all of us. A fresh faith in Jesus has got to be received. Verse 51 says, then he went up into the boat and then the wind ceased. That ought to teach you something. The calming of the storm happens in intimacy with Jesus. Get him in the boat. Get him into the boat of your life. He, the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves. I love this. That would be enough of a description. They were greatly amazed in themselves. Stop. 
No, it doesn't say that. It says, they were greatly amazed in themselves, beyond measure, and marveled. But then there's this other verse, for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. You see, everyone in the boat needed a fresh revelation of Jesus. They had hard hearts. They had hard hearts. This is what the Bible says. The 12 disciples had hard hearts. This tells me something. Before you can go into a season where Jesus is healing a region in an unprecedented way, God comes to deal with the heart of the church. He comes to deal with the heart of sons and daughters. He comes to take out the heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh with a fresh revelation of who he is. What revelation did they need? Verse 52 tells us what the problem was. For they did not understand the miracle of the loaves. What does that have to do with the wind and the boat and the storm and Jesus seemingly destroying everything that was going on well in the natural? What what does that have to do with any of it? They did not understand the loaves for their hearts were hard. You see, the 12 followers of Christ thought the miracle of the loaves was simply about feeding the hungry. That miracle where God takes the lad's lunch, five loaves, two fish, multiplied it, by the way, in the disciples' hands as they were giving it away to 15,000 plus people it says they didn't understand. The miracle was, uh, was at their fingertips and they didn't understand and have the revelation yet. They didn't have it until he got in the boat. You say, what was the revelation that they needed? Here it is. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. He can take the little that I possess in his hand. If I'll give it to him, he's likely to take it, bless it, break it, and give me back less than I gave him. But it's in that moment when he gives us back what we think is less that God can suddenly do more than we could ever think or imagine according to the power that works in us. Listen to me, church. Here is the revelation. If you want to walk in a season of harvest, there has to be a few of us in this place who believe to our bones that Jesus is enough for this community. He's enough for my family. He's enough for my life. He is enough. He's enough. He's enough. He's enough. Jesus is enough. And I believe that suddenly in the last hour, God has allowed some contrary winds to come to those who have been walking with Jesus because our hearts have gotten hard and we begin to think maybe we're enough. 
truthfully in this season called harvest between the coming of the promise and the promise coming again. We have to live by this truth. Jesus is enough to save, to heal, to deliver, to cast out devils, to walk in victory. Jesus is enough. I have this question today, church. Is there something in our lives shouting to the people around us, Jesus is enough? In this season where God is saying, listen, I want to use you. I want to bring a season of healing in this region like this place has never seen. I want to use you that way. But have you gotten to the moment where you have revelation? That it's not just about what you do. It's about your revelation of who he is. I believe that that is what God is saying and doing in this last hour. As we celebrate and we greet a new season, there'll be sons and daughters who say, I'm so loved by God. I'm so cared for. I'm so overwhelmed by his grace and mercy. I'm going to step out in obedience. I'm going to do what he says. No matter if it leads to a test. No matter if the winds blow against me. No matter if it's not on my time. It's on God's time. No matter if things don't look familiar. No matter if all I've got is a word. I'm going to get free of my fears. I'm going to live by faith. And I'm going to see the kingdom of God manifest here on earth as it is in heaven.